Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Glad you're here with us today. Again, welcome to all of you online. Uh, you know, there was a, a small business where the sales representative, uh, the administrative office person, and the manager in this one area of the office all went out to lunch together. And they just were walking down the street, heading to lunch. And as they're walking along, they saw a little gold, uh, like a, a lamp down on the edge of the sidewalk. <clears throat> so one of them picked it up and they were looking at it, he kind of rubbed it to brush, brush the dust off and clean it up and suddenly a genie popped out. And he said, well, normally I give three wishes, but there's three of you, I'll give you each one wish. And so first off, the sales manager popped up, he said, oh, me first, me first. I wanna be uh, in the Bahamas uh, on a speedboat uh, without a care in the world. And poof, he was gone. And then the second one, the office manager spoke up and they're like, oh, I'm second, I'm second, let me go. And, and they, they hopped in and they're like, I wanna go to Hawaii, I wanna be on a, a beach just relaxing without a care in the world. And poof, they were gone. Well, then the office manager was left and so he comes up and I was right, you got the last wish, pal, what do you want? And he said, well, uh, I want them back in the office after lunch. The moral of the story is, uh, always let your boss have the first choice. <laughs> you know, uh, kind of a funny story, but this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. And uh, in Acts, one of the things that we see this morning is the disciples making some big decisions and uh, making some big choices. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna work through the text and uh, we're just gonna kind of talk through what we see happened there and then we're gonna circle back a little bit and say, okay, how did they make this choice? What are some principles we can glean from, from them when, when we have big decisions to make in our lives? So with that, uh, let's pray. Let's uh, ask for God's help as we look at his word and uh, we'll dive in in Acts chapter one this morning. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, Lord, as we thank you so much already, we thank you for your grace to us. Jesus, we thank you for your sending your spirit to, to help us, to enlighten your word, to, to guide us, draw us toward you, and change us. Holy Spirit, I pray now you'd help me as I teach your word. My, my words be uh, your own, and uh, honoring to you, and, and glorifying to Jesus, and helpful for each of us. Lord, we love you, and uh, it's all because you loved us first. So be with us today, help us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we've been studying Acts, we're only in our third week and we're gonna be working through the New Testament book of Acts for the next year. And so I thought it might be good, uh, last week we just looked at the role of the Holy Spirit and uh, we kind of jumped out of Acts, we're jumping right back in where we left off today, but it might be good just to review a little bit and set the scene. 
So in Acts chapter one, we read this. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples and he's on the Mount of Olives, we're gonna see in a moment. And he says to them, but uh, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem, not to go anywhere. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this verse is really a key verse in the book of Acts because it lays out everything else that happens. It's, it's kind of the outline of the book of Acts to where uh, they're in Jerusalem. You can see it down here on the map and it's kind of blown up up here. But Jesus tells them in the verse prior, go wait in Jerusalem and don't leave until I send the spirit. Don't leave. And so he sends, uh, he tells them, not only will you be my witness in Jerusalem, but then after the spirit comes and, and brings power for you to be my witnesses, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then to the area around all Judea and then the area around that all of Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. You know, if, if the book of Acts kept going after chapter 28, it would continue to tell that work of, of Jesus building his church. And uh, so I don't know what chapter of Acts we'd be living in, maybe 2022, I guess. And uh, that chapter 2022, and, and, and Jesus is still at work building his church and he's still empowering us with his spirit to be his witnesses for his mission. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, can you imagine being one of these guys? You've spent the last three to four years with Jesus. You've been living life with him, doing ministry with him. He's your friend. He tells you these things. And then all of a sudden, when he finishes, you just start to watch him float up into the sky and disappear in the clouds. What would you be doing? I'd be kind of standing like this, going, what just happened? Well, uh, if that's you too, you're in good company. The disciples did that. They were gazing into the heavens as he went. But then behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Uh, Luke is the guy who writes this. And so he's telling us there that these were angels. And they said to them, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are you looking at? And, And why are you still looking? I mean, didn't Jesus give you something to do? He said, just to wait, go to Jerusalem, wait. And when the the spirit comes, you'll have power to be my witnesses, right? That's what he said. And he said, so uh, Jesus, who you saw taken up, he's gonna return in the same way you saw him go. Go get doing what he told you to do. And so they did. Look at the next verse, verse 12. This is where we're picking it up today. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey. Sabbath day's journey might not make much sense to us, but basically it's about a half mile, maybe two two thirds of a mile. And they were on a place called the Mount of Olives or Mount Olivet. Here's a a photo of it. And uh, you can see today there's uh, some olive trees, a little grove here. But in the background, this wall right here in that picture is actually the same wall that would have stood when Jesus said these things to to the disciples. And it surrounded the Temple Mount. And where you see this gold dome is now a mosque, but it would have been the the temple there that they would have seen. And right behind that was the city of Jerusalem. And so he says, you're gonna go to Jerusalem and you're gonna wait for the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? Well, they departed. They departed and and they returned to Jerusalem from this place, about a half mile's walk. And uh, when they got there, when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. the upper room, uh, this is likely the same place that they had been uh, about a month prior when 
uh, Jesus uh, the night before he was betrayed when he shared the Passover meal with them. And uh, it's a place that we're gonna see again here in a moment, but it's, it's the upper room. And you, you notice the 12 uh, disciples who are listed there, who are there. And uh, it was in this place that Jesus had promised the coming of the Spirit. And next week we'll see the Spirit come in that very room. And then in uh, verse 14, as we keep going, we read about more people who were there. All of these, the, the, the 11 remaining disciples, along with where they were in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together uh, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. The women, likely those who were part of the church, maybe many who had seen Jesus' crucifixion, even anointed his body, as bur- or went to anoint his body for his burial. Um, uh, his mother, Mary, and his brothers. Did you know Jesus had, a, had brothers? The New Testament tells us about four of them. Uh, James, uh, Joseph, or Joseph, uh, Jude, and Simon. And then it mentions his sisters, plural, on another occasion in Matthew. So he had at least two sisters. And Jesus was the oldest in a big family. And uh, this family now, his brothers and his sisters, who were likely there as well, are now spending time praying to him, worshiping him. How many of you, I'm, a, I'm the oldest of four boys. Any, anybody got any siblings? How many of you, if your sibling uh, started saying, hey, I'm God, what would you do? Ah, I think you're crazy. In fact, these same brothers did that at one point. Jesus was teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God and they show up at a house and they knock on the door, hey, is Jesus here? And they, gra- they, they try to grab him to take him home. They're just like, you're out of your mind. You've taken this a little too far. And, uh, but now they're worshiping him. Why? How did that change? And how did they ever, I mean, I would never look at any of my brothers and say, they've got it all together. They've never sinned. And they would never look at me and think that. Yet, I mean, what, what kind of proof is that? Evidence that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. That he really is God who lived a perfect life that his own brothers and his mother would eventually come to worship him. His, his brothers who thought he was crazy at one point. But now here they are in the room praying, obeying him, waiting for the spirit. Well, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. You know Peter, right? He's the guy who always kind of takes charge, speaks before he thinks sometimes. That's Peter. And he gets up and the company of all the people there was about 120 in this room. So it was a, it was a big room. In the, in the old city there in Jerusalem, usually the, if there was a big room in a house, it was in an upper floor because you needed walls underneath it to support it. If there was a big room underneath and all the walls above made of stone, it would likely fall down. So they were in that upper room, that big room, and it held at least 120 people. And Peter gets up and he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. If you don't know a lot about the story of, of Jesus and of the Bible, Jesus had 12, uh, he had many followers, but 12 who were close. And one of those, a guy by the name of Judas, betrays him on uh, the, night of, the night before his crucifixion and, and uh, just turns his back on him. For he was numbered among us, Peter said. He was one of us. And he was allotted his share in this ministry. Like he was close to Jesus. He was close to us and he just totally betrayed Jesus and totally betrayed us. You know, it's a reminder to me that sometimes those who are uh, privileged to be close to the truth 
aren't necessarily really committed to the truth and don't maybe even know the truth of the gospel in their hearts. They might know some facts in their head, but, but it's never affected their heart. That's Judas, that's Judas. Now, uh, verse 18, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Luke kind of gives us, notice the parentheses there. He's giving us uh, just some background. Uh, this guy, Judas, he acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, 30 pieces of silver, and uh, falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. He didn't know there was gonna be some gruesome parts to Acts, did you, when we started it? And uh, that place, though, became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is the field of blood. Matthew tells us that Judas hung himself. Luke here says he fell and burst open. Well, those two things aren't incompatible. Augustine uh, actually writes and tells us that uh, it, it just seemed to be common knowledge that Judas hung himself. He hung there for a while. Likely his, his body swelled up and then the branch broke. He fell, or maybe when they were getting him down, he fell and uh, he fell on a rock and burst open and it was nasty. For it's written, Peter goes on now, uh, now he starts uh, opening up scripture. He says, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp, Judas, see this was all uh, predicted in scripture, become desolate and, and let there be no one to dwell in it let, and let another take his office. There needs to be somebody to replace Judas among the 12 because the, the 12 disciples correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel and just show God's continual grace through all of it. So someone's gotta take his place. So here's what Peter says. He, he puts together uh, some criteria for who it could be to take his place. He said, uh, one of the men who, it needs to be one of the men who's accompanied us during the whole time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Uh, from the very beginning, from his baptism by John until the day when he was taken up from us, it's gotta be one of these men. They must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So he lays out those criteria. It's gotta be somebody who's been with us the whole time, who's seen Jesus after his resurrection. And so uh, then the whole crowd there, the 120-ish, we're not told exactly how many, about 120, uh, they put forward two guys. So here's the two guys we think meet this criteria. Here's two of them. Uh, one was named Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Joseph evidently was a pretty popular guy. He had multiple names. Everybody knew him. And another guy named Matthias, and they prayed and uh, they put forward these two. They prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all, so show us which one of these two that you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And so they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Casting lots, uh, when they decided this, uh, the best example for us would be like rolling dice, I guess. Uh, to cast a lot, one of the ways it was often done is you'd take stones, throw them in a bag, and, and likely what happens here, they had two stones, they wrote the name of each of these guys on a stone, put them in a bag or in a jar, shook it up, and then when they dump it out, the first one to come out, they trust is God's choice. And so it happens all throughout the Old Testament. The lot is cast into the lap, Solomon writes in Proverbs, but it's very decision. It's every decision is from the Lord. And so they trust God with that outcome. Now, as an aside, uh, we don't cast lots today. Why? Because if you've trusted Christ, and we don't see it in scripture after this event, because then the Holy Spirit comes in the very next chapter, and now we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us to help us, to guide us according to all truth. 
and to help us make decisions in our lives. But that's the process they went through. So there, we just kind of worked through the passage, right? Um, And in a minute here, we're gonna go and we're gonna look at how did they make that decision? How can we make decisions? But before we do, we're just kind of getting started here. We're only a couple weeks into the book of Acts and I have something that I don't want you to miss, that you can't miss. Here's what it is. The book of Acts is not about super Christians. It's not about superstar Christians or super Christians. Sometimes, you know, we fall into the trap of we read the Bible, uh, we read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, right? And we'll read about these, these guys and these ladies and we'll see God do extraordinary things through them. And we think, oh boy, God must have done that because there's something special about them. He would never do that through me. He would never use me in that way. It's clearly because of who they are. <laughs> they must be, you know, super Christians, for lack of a better term. And so then... Uh, we read it and we miss out and we think that Acts is, is prescriptive for us, that if we would just get our act together, maybe God would work through us in the same way. But much of Acts is not prescriptive of prescription, it's descriptive of what God did. It's descriptive. Uh, the danger is, is twofold in this when we take it prescriptive and not descriptive. We put unrealistic expectations, even unbiblical ones, on ourselves and secondly, on others. And we ignore God's grace and we quench the spirit. But here's the thing, if, if you think about it and you, and you sometimes buy into that, sometimes I do when I read that, I think, oh wow, if only God would use me like that. Only if I could get, get my act together and then he'd use me. But here's the problem, it's a lie. There are no super Christians, they don't exist. It's not compatible with what the Bible teaches. Do you know that? It's not, there's no such thing. Uh, Look what Paul writes in Romans three. He said, uh, none is righteous. I highlighted some things in case you missed his point. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul says, I think he's saying that nobody is righteous. Nobody gets it together. There are no super Christians. Now we might read that though and we think, okay, but Josh, I've read the whole Bible and I've seen some of those guys in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses. Well, uh, when Paul says this, do you know what he's quoting? The Old Testament. He's quoting from uh, Psalm from the Psalms, from uh, Psalm 14, in fact. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. But they've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. See, uh, Abraham and Isaac and all those guys, they, they, they were faithful to God in big ways, right? For sure. But they also made some really, really stupid choices. And they were also still really messed up. Solomon, the wisest guy other than Jesus to ever live, says this, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There's not one. See, Acts is not about super Christians. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus using messed up people. By the way, messed up people, uh, like us, like us. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter two, we read this, for by grace you've been saved. Not because of anything you've done. Look, it's, it's not of your own doing. 
It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So then nobody can boast. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when I do something good, I feel good about it. And so then I want other people to know I did something good. And I, you know, I kind of boast about it. But God says, listen, your standing with me has nothing to do with anything good about you or anything good you've done. So that you can't boast. Because Josh, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's grace. Grace means free gift. It's a free gift of God. See, uh, it's actually in the Bible, really, it's about God using messed up people like us. If you're sitting by somebody, and most of you are, just turn to them and say, did you know God uses messed up people like you? Go ahead, just tell them. In fact, that's the only kind of person he uses, is people who have sinned and who have messed up. Because Paul tells us all have sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory. In Isaiah, we read that all of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned, everyone to his own way. And yet the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds, they're like a polluted garment, literally like a menstrual rag. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, our sin is like the wind. They, They take us away. Where do they take us to? They take us away from God's favor. Under his wrath. And so the wages of sin then is death. I I think of it kind of like this. I think this is helpful for me. It has been helpful for me to understand this is that in the beginning, God created us and there was good relationship between uh, humanity and God, Adam and Eve and God. Everything was perfect, which I don't know about you. I can't totally get my mind around because I'm so far from that. But he gave them one rule and they broke it. They sinned and now there was this chasm between humanity and God. And it's because of what we just read from Romans that we've all sinned. And yet God has planted in us this desire to be close to God, to be near to him, to draw near to him. And so we start doing these things thinking that somehow we'll earn his favor. And it's kind of like, imagine this is the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? It's It's huge massive. Imagine you were the greatest long jumper in the world and you thought I could train and train and train and jump across this Grand Canyon. So the day comes, you've been training for years and you get to that day and you take off running and you take the leap and it feels pretty good for a second, right? Everything's going good. And then what? You what? You fall short. Well, if, if that had to do with all the good things we think we do, you know, we, we follow enough rules, we help enough old ladies cross the street, we bring enough meals to the poor, but all of those good things, they fall short of God's glory. It's never enough. It's never enough. And our sin causes us to fall short, friends. It causes me to fall short. And if we were to jump into the Grand Canyon, what would happen to us? pretty certain death, right? Well, in the same way, if we fall short of God's glory, uh, we would die. The wages of sin then is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. See, the Bible says uh, everybody is born once and everybody dies once, physically, right? And then you get the choice of which one you're gonna experience for the second time. If you're born again, born of water, 
physically and the spirit spiritually, then the second death, Jesus says, has no power over you. You'll never die again other than that one physical death. You'll be raised to new life forever with the Lord. But if you're only born once physically and never born again spiritually, not only will you die physically, then you'll die spiritually and spend eternally, eternity suffering under God's wrath for your sin. See, because the only way to cross that chasm is perfection. And I know a lot of good people, but I don't know anybody who's perfect. But do you know what the good news is? Do you wanna hear it? Perfect is a gift. Perfect's a gift. See, because Christ died for us, the wages of sin is death. I left off the rest of the verse, but uh, the, way, the, the, the free gift of God is eternal life. Perfect is a gift. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet he still paid the penalty for sin on the cross. And so it's as if now, instead of uh, me just having to run and jump and, and do everything I can to earn my way to God, God's provided a way where he provides the entire way to him. He's come to me. And it's as if the cross is this bridge. And now I still have this choice. I can either choose to, to, to just run and try to jump on my own or I can put all of my faith, all of it, in that bridge, in the cross, that Jesus' finished work will hold me to the end. And now I can live like that, live the way he's called me to live in freedom, not worrying, am I ever gonna be good enough. See, uh, I bring all that up because uh, Jesus just says the way to do that is simply to believe. Confess Jesus as Lord, but believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and then things are reunited. You're made right with God. See, Acts is not about super Christians, it's about Jesus using messed up people like you and me. And here's what he does. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It's a gift, do you see? It's a gift. And so Jesus uses messed up people like us to build his church, to show that grace to more and more people so that more and more would know it. He will do it and he is doing it. Now, I don't want you to miss that as we read the book of Acts. We just read about how uh, they're, they're waiting, they're praying, and we look at them, we think, oh man, they're, these are amazing people. Peter, you know, and God used them in extraordinary ways, but it wasn't because of them. It was because of his grace. So how did they make wise decisions? Just in the short time we have left, uh, let's talk about that briefly and circle back. You know, because the, the reality is, uh, I think this passage helps us to answer the ever-present, should I dot, dot, dot. Do you ever have choices you face in life? You have some small ones, right? This morning you might have said, should I brush my teeth today? The answer is yes. In case you wondered, I'll just help you with that one. Uh, should I walk the dog? Should I get seconds at the haystack in a little bit? Should I take a nap? Should I get up early? Just simple questions. Should I dot, dot, dot? But then there's big questions too. There's big questions. Should I marry this person? Should I quit my job? Should I move to Florida? Should I go to this school? 
See, there's, there's small ones and there's big ones, but you know, uh, God tells us how to make a right decision in any case. And he cares about every decision. He cares about the small ones and he cares about the big ones. So just quickly here, let's think back through what we read about this account in the end of Acts 1. First off, the first, first thing you should do if you wanna make a biblical decision is talk to God. That's what we see uh, Peter and the disciples doing, right? They go back to Jerusalem to the upper room and what did they do? They devoted themselves to prayer. That's what prayer is, it's talking to God. Do you know you can do that at any time, in any place, in any way? You can uh, kneel down and bow your head and fold your hands and pray. Or you can pray in the middle of a conversation. I, I do this all the time. I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, they say something, I'm like, God, I don't know how to respond to that. I'm thinking that in my head, praying to him, help me. And then I just keep talking. We can talk to him at any time. Talk to him. That's prayer. If you wonder what God's will is for your life, here's what Paul says. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all without reproach. Talk to him. That's your first step in trying to make a right decision. Talk to God. Second though, don't make it a one-way conversation. Hear from God too. Don't just talk, 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 talk. Listen to him. Now listen, he loves for you to talk to him, right? Um, those of you who are parents, do you, do you love to have your kids tell you things that are going on in their lives? I've got a seven-year-old son who's in first grade. He gets home from school. I, I, the, the, my best days, my favorite days are when uh, Charlie just starts spilling out everything that happened that day. My frustrating days are when I say, hey, pal, what happened today? I don't remember, which means I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> right? God loves it when you talk to him, even about the smallest things. And then uh, second, hear from God, hear from him. Uh, scripture says that uh, your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Don't just talk to him, hear from him. Test it according to God's word. What does God's word say about that? If you've got a big decision, sometimes God's word, is, God's word is very clear about what to do and what not to do. Sometimes it gives you some principles and God in his grace just says, make a choice. But hear from him, go to his word. If you're not sure where to go in his word, uh, Google's your friend. You can just say, uh, Google, uh, what does scripture say about blank? Don't ask, you know, what does the Bible say? You might get weird things. What does scripture say? Scripture verses about blank. Maybe that's the best way to do it. Three, get wise counsel from others, other people who love God. Talk to God, hear from God, and then talk to others. Proverbs tells us that wise, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. But friends, if you get counsel, make sure it's wise. And always, always, always test it according to this book. Because even people who are really wise and who follow the Lord can give bad advice sometimes. So if they tell you to do something that isn't in this book, then you know clearly, okay, God says this though, so that's not good advice. Always test it. But, but talk to others. And then sometimes you'll have a very clear answer what to do. Other times you might have three different things to choose from and you're like, I don't know which one to choose. You know what you do? You make a decision. You just make a decision and you trust God through all of it. By the way, in all of these, this is what we saw the disciples do here, right? 
We saw um, them praying, talking to God. We saw them hear from God. Peter opened up scripture with them. We saw them get wise counsel from others. The, the whole group suggested uh, 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 Joseph and, uh, or the guy, he had like five names, Justice, Joseph, and Matthias, right? Those two guys, everybody was involved in that. And then they made a decision. They cast lots and they trusted God with the outcome. Friends, we can do the same thing. As we uh, wrap up today, there's a lot to plow through this morning. Um, but in a moment, we're gonna see uh, some people who've made eternity-shaping decisions, some of those big decisions in their lives to trust and to follow Jesus Christ. And uh, they've stepped out in faith on that bridge. And so they're gonna get baptized to demonstrate that decision. They're gonna come forward now. And as they get baptized, maybe you would consider deeply have, have I made that decision for myself yet? If you want help with that decision or any decision, you can text us at that number. We'll reply to you, pray with you. And uh, they're gonna come forward now as I pray and uh, it's gonna be an exciting time together. Let me pray.